What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another exciting episode of Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Lindner. What I do here is a daily live stream, and I put it out in podcast form. If you want to take part in the live streams, you can follow me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner, or better yet, go to the telegram t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. Also, check out the website bitcoinandmarkets.com. Sign up for the free tier, get notified of all my content, get a free weekly newsletter. And there you can also become a full member and support me for $5 a month and support this unique perspective in Bitcoin. So I have been in Bitcoin for almost 10 years. I have an economics and business background as well as a military career. So I have a unique perspective, a unique outlook. And if you listen to this whole episode today, you'll get a taste of that unique outlook. So I want to thank everyone that supports over there on BitcoinAndMarkets.com. If you're new, I hope you enjoy the episode. Subscribe, like, share, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com. Okay, let's get into today's show. Welcome everybody to another live stream, Ansel Lindner, Bitcoin and Markets. Today is December 23rd, 2022, two days before Christmas. Tomorrow is Christmas Eve. My kids are all home and (laughs) being loud and running around the house. So if you hear any noise in the background, please forgive the interruption. But it's a very good time of year. Hope you guys are doing well and have plans to spend the holidays with your friends and family. Uh, I know in the U.S., a lot of the country is under negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit wind chills. Some places I think are... Uh, forecast to be negative 60 or negative 70 Fahrenheit uh, on sustained wind chills. So that is like, you know, where the wind is 40 miles an hour sustained. Normally wind chills are on the gusts. And so you might see like a negative 20 wind chill or something like that, but the wind isn't constantly blowing. And this snowstorm that's going through the country right now is constantly blowing and so the sustained wind chill is what it's actually going to feel like most of the time outside. And a lot of places are going to be really, really cold. So I hope you guys are warm. Hope you're safe. So today in Bitcoin, I've been editing from yesterday's stream and also writing the write-up and trying to get the FedWatch podcast out today. So haven't really um, been watching the headlines too much. I did go through Twitter to see if there's any big Bitcoin headlines and there doesn't seem to be anything. It's all, you know, pretty uh, starting to slow down big time uh, for Christmas. I did see the Sam Bankman freed. He is out on $250 million in bail. But anyways, um, so Sam Bankman freed, he only had $100,000 apparently. That's what he said, but somehow he's able to post at least 25 million for this uh for this bail it's crazy it's crazy i'm surprised that he's alive honestly i think he's gonna definitely he's at risk of being epstein right uh mcafeed who else all those people in big danger of that so hopefully he stays safe actually because i'd like to see what he has to say Uh, so yeah he he doesn't necessarily deserve the best treatment but He can rat other people out and we can have them get what they deserve, right? So just some justice, some justice. But I don't know if that's going to ever happen. We'll we'll see. We'll see how this 
ends up. I'm I'm curious to see what you guys think if you have any comments here at the end. Uh, let's see, Bitcoin, just scrolling through here. Let me check uh, Telegram, the, the daily post that I put up there. Let's see what you guys have to say in there. So, um, oh, there was this tweet. Yes, Reed posted this tweet about exports and stuff. Let me pull that up. I can read this uh, article a little bit. It's an article from oilprice.com. And the headline is, the U.S. could become a net oil exporter in 2023. And the bullet points, U.S. crude oil exports and refined product exports are both record highs at 3.4 million barrels per day and 3 million barrels per day, respectively. Meanwhile, crude oil imports are declining, falling to 1.1 million barrels per day in November compared to 7 million barrels per day five years ago. Holy crap. Holy crap. The U.S. is down to 1.1 million barrels per day imported in November. Of course, that is a um, kind of a recessionary amount, I would say. So maybe in good times, it would be 2 million. But five years ago, it was 7 million barrels per day. Oh, man. That is crazy. All right, next bullet point. U.S. oil exports are set to surpass imports late next year although that depends on whether the U.S. shale growth accelerates. So all of this stuff is also on the tail or on the heels of the government constantly attacking U.S. energy production. I mean, regulations out the wazoo, closing down pipelines, you know, destroying a lot of the Canadian industry, destroying a lot of the U.S. industry. Yet, somehow, we still continue to produce more and more. Just imagine when the Marxists lose control and we take away all those regulations on oil and gas. And it's just boom time here. You know, we are sitting on, I mean, I'll have to look it up again. I think the exact number was, uh, or the exact estimate was 6 trillion barrels of shale oil. That's economical to take out of the ground under the United States. Six trillion barrels. So yeah, we are the Saudi Arabia of the future. And as soon as the Marxists get defeated and we can have some sane energy policies, then I think the energy industry in the United States is going to boom big time. But anyway, let's continue with the story. The United States hasn't been a net exporter of oil and oil products since World War II. Very interesting. I thought that we were in 2019, but I guess it depends on the exact statistics that you're looking at. Um, you know, there's all sorts of different flavors of energy cut type of exports and energy goods. You have refined oil, you have gasoline, you got crude oil. And so there's, uh, you know, different flavors. I thought that in 2019, we were a net exporter, but I could be wrong. All right, now it is on course to become a net exporter next year with oil and product exports already hitting record highs, 3.4 million barrels per day and 3 million barrels per day, respectively. Meanwhile, Reuters reports citing official data from Ener the Energy Department, imports of crude oil are on a decline, falling just 1.1. Okay, we already talked about that. In fairness, the export-import balance this year is substantially affected by the massive 180 million barrel release of crude from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, 
which the Biden administration used to fight soaring retail fuel prices. And also, of course, the uh, just higher energy prices in general and the sanctions on Russia that puts that is a, a sucking power that sucks the oil out of the United States. So, yeah, I can see that this is kind of a uh, off year or a unique year, and perhaps we will regress uh, later next year, but we will see. Okay, quote, Russia's invasion of Ukraine has spurred new demand for U.S. energy and should push oil exports above imports late next year, assuming shale output accelerates. All right. If shale output does not accelerate, then in order to become a net exporter, the U.S. would have to reduce demand, the report notes. However, this is quite unlikely. <laughs> well, we're going to have reduced demand. The The world is going to have reduced demand. And that, that's one thing I've been saying is if, say, in 2019, the overall global demand for oil was 102 million barrels per day, we're at 99 now, or the last time I looked, we're at 99 million barrels per day. And it might never get past 102 again. I mean, it could, but what if it gets past 102 in five years from now, and then it slides back down? You know, like that could be that could be roughly the top. And I think that we are at roughly the top. And if you take the um, cost to produce that 102 million barrels, it goes down every year because technology slightly improves. Right. And so we are going to have it's going to be cheaper to fulfill the demand for oil for the world that is not increasing at the similar rate that it was for the last 50 years. I mean, what they're doing is they're taking a trend from, say, World War Two or 1980 or whatever, and they're just extrapolating that the same sort of market recession and recovery and recession and recovery will just repeat itself. And so they estimate uh, they estimate, oh, we, you know, going to be two, 2 million barrels per day every year increase on average. But those days are over, guys. Um, the, the global economy is not going to grow until we change the money. I mean, we might have marginal growth, but let's say the global economy grows at 1% a year. A lot of that would be like financialized growth, not necessarily growth that you need energy for. It's going to be rehypothecation, it's going to be leveraged growth, you know, financialization. And so if we get that kind of growth for many, many years, it's the demand for oil is not going to go up. So we are at peak oil demand the whole time for decades, you know, the whole thing was peak oil supply, which got thrown out the window and that was completely wrong. And I even responded to one of uh, Chris Martinson. He does peak prosperity. Um, Good guy, but he is big into fear about energy and saying that we wasted the last 10 years, which was the only 10 years that the shale oil boom was going to be like valid. And we wasted those years. No, no, we did not. There is a century of shale oil boom left in the United States. At least, at least. And that is just counting reserves today. I've showed charts here on the show before about oil, the oil reserves, proven oil reserves in the ground go up every year, even though we burn 100 million barrels per day. 
We're sucking 100 million barrels per day out of the ground and proven oil reserves go up every year. It's it's insane <laughs> to think that we have peak oil supply. So anyway, um, yeah, peak oil demand is what we have. And so when you have this demand at least maintaining or maybe slightly degrading over a decade, but you have this m- supply is cheaper to bring to market, then uh, you have chronically lower energy prices. And this is exactly the opposite of what many, many, I would say that majority, 90% majority of market analysts are huge energy bulls. I'm an energy bull in the way that I think innovation will will happen, and that will be good for certain energy companies that do this innovation. But the price of the commodity, no, the price of the commodity is going to go down. It's going to trend down over the next couple of decades, I think. But anyway, that's enough of this oil. Let's talk. This is a related story. This is a headline from Zero Hedge. Freeport LNG announces another delay, sending U.S. gas prices lo- lower. U.S. natural gas prices slid Friday morning after Freeport LNG announced it would delay the restart of its liquefaction facility in Texas from mid-December to late January. As of December 23rd, the uh, reconstruction work necessary to commence initial operations is substantially complete, and the company is submitting responses to the last remaining questions included in the Federal Energy Regulation Commission's uh, December 12th data request. Freeport continued, given the time needed for the regulatory agencies to review the company's responses and to seek any necessary clarification, Freeport LNG now does not anticipate commencing the initial restart of its liquefaction facility until the second half of 2023. U.S. nat nat gas prices slid as much as 3% to $4.85 per million metric British thermal units, but have recovered some losses. Freeport LNG has officially delayed its restart to the second half of 2023, which lined up with many estimates around the market. The terminal has been actively working on repairs on site, and it was becoming more likely that they would miss their end of 2022 target. Remember, Freeport has been shuttered since June due to an explosion with an initial reopening timeframe around fall. The delay has a silver lining. More nat gas will be injected back into the U.S. grid, uh, though the bad news for Europe is fewer U.S. LNG shipments. Okay. So, yeah, that's why gas prices in the U.S. fell, because this uh, we need this facility to export this liquefied natural gas. But I think the there's only one or two ports in Europe that actually can import li- uh, LNG, right? I want to say it's maybe uh, in the Netherlands and maybe in Spain, something like that. But most of Europe was the infrastructure was set up for these pipelines, not the liquefied natural gas. So we'll have to see how this this comes about. But yeah, just more more energy staying home uh, in the United States and lower energy prices is good for consumers, not maybe not what the energy producers want, but that is good for consumers. And once again, this is another reason why I'm more bullish on the U.S. economy than I am on most other economies. It'd be hard to find one that I would be more bullish than the United States. Okay, another story here from Zero Hedge. 
U.S. durable goods orders plunge in November, biggest drop since COVID. Following a plunge in leading economic indicators, U.S. durable goods orders tumbled 2.1% month over month in preliminary November data. This is the biggest month over month drop since the COVID lockdowns and slowest year over year growth since February 2021. Non-defense aircraft and parts fell 36%, while defense aircraft and parts declined 8.6%. Non-defense capital goods shipments X aircraft, which feed directly into GDP calculations, declined by 0.1%. Rising economic uncertainties and rapid Fed rate hikes are revealed in softening CapEx intentions, which indicate that a soft patch likely lies ahead. All right. So very interesting. Everything is pointing to a slowdown, but we're not seeing the catastrophic slowdowns. I mean, if you look at this chart, I'll post this chart here in Telegram. And, you know, they can make the, oh, I put it in the wrong one. Sorry, guys. Let me post that in the main channel. So, of course, they can do the headlines. Oh, my God, huge drop in durable goods orders. They plunge in November. But when you look at a long-term chart like I just posted, um, you know, even pre-COVID, this is going back 2018, 2019. Yeah, the global economy was slowing down. People were waking up out of this delusion of, the global synchronized growth myth and we had slowdowns in 2019 so you don't even have to look at covid this is the lowest since covid but before that there were many other months that were negative like this so yeah they're slowing down that's a big sign about cpi cpi will be brought down by this because demand is falling and supply chains are getting reworked and just look at the shipment costs, you know, of these container shipping and even the Baltic dry index. These things are down, down, down. Oil down. It's up today, but oil is way down from the peak. Lumber, uh, copper, LNG. I mean, everything you look at around in macro is all down. And so CPI is coming down. Now let's tie this into Bitcoin because I haven't talked about Bitcoin yet. So let's take a look at the Bitcoin chart. 16,831 right now. Had a little bit of volatility this morning when the PCE came out. Oh, we should probably cover the PCE too, which I'll do right after this. Um, so here is a chart, a chart of Bitcoin for the last few days. It is sideways to up. All right, sideways to up. There are some periods of crashing, but you know, just look at that. It's horizontal. But it's a little bit higher. It's slightly going up. Okay, this is, to me, this is an excellent, excellent shot of how this is consolidation at the bottom. There are some periods where it wants to fall on the news, but it gets bought right back up. So zoom out. It's going sideways to up. That's what's, <laughs> that's what's happening with Bitcoin. Now let's tie that into the durable goods and into the PCE. And what I just said there about all of the macro numbers and macro charts showing a slowdown is coming. Bitcoin does decently during reflationary periods. I mean, that's when Bitcoin does its best is during reflationary periods. Um, because that's when actual inflation is, right? That's when the bubbles are being reblown. 
there's more stability out there and people are able to uh, start diversifying again. So in these deflationary shocks that we have, people, um, what, what's the opposite of diversify? <laughs> what's the verb for opposite of diversify? They do the opposite of diversification and they um, stampede into safe and liquid assets. And unfortunately, Bitcoin is not quite there yet for most people. It is there for us, for me and Bitcoiners, but it's not there for the general public like treasuries and dollars are. Okay, so um, during the deflationary shocks, people stampede into the dollar and then during reflationary times is when people diversify again and they go back into risk assets and they go back into things like Bitcoin. So um, that's that's what I would say. That's what I would say for why this period is actually looking good for Bitcoin. Also, the U.S. has such a high percentage of the Bitcoin industry, you know, with mining. Uh, it's a large minority, right, of mining. It's not even a majority of mining, but a large minority of mining happens here. Most of the big Bitcoin companies are here. Most of the Bitcoin holders, I would say, are in the United States. And so if the United States economy does well, that then that's good for Bitcoin too. So I think we will have a reflationary period where commodities will fall or stay low. The economy will get somewhat back on its feet. Just look at the Q3 GDP number. Q4 will probably also be positive because the quote unquote inflation is falling so quickly. It's falling faster than uh, nominal GDP is falling. So we'll probably have a positive quarter for that as well. And then we get into 2023 and where's that taking us? So uh, I, and I don't see a hardcore recession in the United States. I see much bigger chance of that in China and Europe, but you know, think of, think of uh, the world in 2012. That's kind of the world I see in 2023. So get going into a European sovereign debt crisis of some sort, uh, they're going to have to pay the piper for what's going on, what they are doing in the conflict against Russia. I mean, there is no free pass. There's no way that Europe is going to get out of this. Um, so anyway, that's, uh, oh, let's talk about PCE real quick. PCE, it, it was a little bit higher than the consensus forecast. So the PCE is the alternative to the CPI that the Fed uses and the government usually uses in things like calculating real GDP, um, it was slightly higher than consensus forecast, but it was slightly lower than the Fed's forecast. So it was a mixed signal from the market. There was a little bit of volatility back and forth where people kind of decided what they thought about it. And it looks like it, you know, nothing is coming of it. Let's take a look at the S&P 500 real quick. And that is the hourly chart. There was some volatility. Let's look at the daily. Daily is slightly green, slightly green. I mean, it could go either way here. It does not look like an imminent, uh, imminent collapse or anything or imminent problem is coming. So when you guys go and take some time for the holidays with your family and friends, uh, you don't have to worry about a market crash, I don't think. <laughs> so that's something good. All right, let's open up the mic here. Anybody that wants to jump in, bring up a topic, ask a question, 
whatever you'd like to do. Reed, bring me in, Reed. What's up, Reed? Got it. Yep, there you go. How's it going? Yeah, I, I, I sort of threw it in late, but I dropped I dropped one other topic in the message spot for, for today. Okay. Bitcoin Magazine just dropped <clears throat> a headline, I think this morning or maybe last night, that Russia is planning in January to legalize the international trade of Bitcoin and crypto. And I thought the, the key thing, I think, and I just, sorry, I just put it down for a second. There was a key quote right in the front of that article that I thought was interesting. Uh, sorry, I'll just get to it. Um, that's right, I dropped it in the chat too. In January, we want to legalize cryptocurrencies to ensure foreign trade activities, which is, I think that's where people thought that they were going with, with their, you know, some of the statements they've been making previously about Bitcoin. So it'll be interesting to see if, if they open that up or if they're expecting more sanctions or, or what exactly is going on there, but could, could be interesting. Yes. Thank you for posting that. That is huge news. Wow. Wow. Let me read through a little bit of this for people listening on the podcast later. Um, what I'll do is I'll take bring that comment real quick up to the front. I'll bring it up to the front. I think I can do that. Let me see. Okay, there we go. Yeah, there we go. Um, brought that into the Telegram channel. Uh, yeah, that's huge news, man. That is huge. Because, uh, yeah, that is obviously one of the huge use cases for Bitcoin. And that is trading, international trade in a multipolar world. I tried to hammer that home for the last couple months that in a multipolar world, commodity or not commodity, uh, credit-based money is not going to function properly. You have to have commodity-based money or sound money that people can trust, you know, inter, inter-regional trade. Global trade is going away for a big to a big degree. It's not going away completely, but when you are trading in the future between these countries, between regions, uh, you're going to have to have a neutral currency, which dollars are not a neutral currency. Definitely not a neutral currency, as the Russians have found out, right? So let's read through this a little bit. Russia's Congressional Finance Committee Chairman, Asakov, Asakov sorry about that name, said the country is moving to greenlight international trade in cryptocurrency within the next month, according to a report by National News Agency TASS. Quote, and this is the quote you read, in January, we want to legalize cryptocurrencies to ensure foreign trade activities. The chairman highlighted that although Russia is taking steps to allow Bitcoin and cryptocurrency payments for imports, There are no plans to encourage similar usage of the burgeoning assets within the boundaries of the nation's territory. Okay, interesting. Quote, the circulation of cryptocurrencies as a means of payment on the territory of Russia will be prohibited and liability will be prescribed in this this regard, he reported. But to pay for foreign trade transactions, we still assume the possibility of using cryptocurrencies, for example, for parallel Imports. Russian officials have teased that this possibility, at this possibility for almost a year, following an intense package of Western sanctions deployed in the wake of the nation's invasion of Ukraine. Very, very interesting. Okay, so they still will have to buy Bitcoin in bulk. 
right? You have to buy Bitcoin to, to do these type of import export transactions. Um, but this is a perfect use case for Bitcoin. It makes so much sense. And if they start doing this, if this gets picked up, if this gets any sort of usage in 2023, guys, everybody's going to have to do it. Everybody's going to have to do it. Russia's going to say, no, we won't do this unless, you know, this works so great with Bitcoin. We have to do import export with Bitcoin. China will do it. Japan will jump on board. Europe will try to stiff arm it, right? And they'll say, accept my CBDC. And the U.S. will be like, oh, man, the Fed. The Fed will say, we're not doing a CBDC, so we might as well get on this Bitcoin thing. How about we regulate digital dollars? How about we have stable coins come into the Fed? We can do these uh, digital dollars. They might try that. But eventually, the U.S. is going to have to capitulate. And they're going to have to join with everybody else. If this gets big in 2023, wow, this could be one of those tipping points. Thank you very much, Reed, for bringing that up. Yeah, and I, I, um, the reason I mentioned sanctions, and, and I sort of was just remembering this as I was saying it out loud, but I remembered, um, and I just looked it up, uh, Lawrence Lepard, who, if if anybody doesn't know him, he's like a a gold guy, kind of turned Bitcoin and gold. Um, becoming pretty popular in the, in the Bitcoin space. And he was tweeting out some pictures yet or some charts yesterday of the ruble and of gold. And he's starting to question if, if these are sort of leading indicators that something about the war may start to intensify. Um, and if that's the case, I mean, that makes perfect sense, right, to, to lead into how this could be connected to you know them wanting to make sure that everybody knows that they're accepting bitcoin for for oil or for whatever they're trading yeah i'm trying to look that up right now here we go let's see hey buddy i'm i'm talking yeah my my thing is in there the remote's in there i'll talk to you five minutes okay buddy it's by the charger sorry guys All right, let's look up this. I'm trying to look for a tweet. It was was yesterday. I don't don't know how to, maybe I can drop it in the. Yeah, if you have a link, just drop it in the, in that same thread. But anyway, yeah, that's that's great. I I just dropped it in the, in the one that you brought to the front. Okay, cool. Fix the money, fix the world. Yeah, he brings up, it's actually a little thread, and the second tweet in the thread is where he starts talking about gold and what it might mean related to um, the war intensifying, potentially. Not entirely sure how to read this, but interesting, from Stuart Thompson, and he's showing the U.S. dollar to Russian ruble. Okay, well, this is, first off, the FX cross between the ruble and the U.S. dollar. Okay, maybe you can get some information from big moves, but it's generally a very, very low volume cross. It, like, I wouldn't, unless this continues like this and there's a massive, massive move, I wouldn't put any stock in a move from, say, 68 to 73. It's, it's kind of volatile. Um, and it can move by just a, mil- a billion or two moving can move this cross a lot, but let's see what else he says. Looks generally constructive for gold. 
war about to intensify. Well, the war is about to intensify, okay? They are pretty much done with their mobilization of half a million, half a million, isn't that what it was? Half a million troops in Russia. Uh, some of the major cities in the Donbass are starting to fall. Um, some of these strongholds, I know Bakhmut, which is one of these big linchpin cities, is more than 50% taken by the Russians. So it looks like a lot of this stuff could, yeah, really intensify, could really speed up. Uh, let's see, what else do you say? Is it a thread? No, I don't think there's, there's not really that much more there. I just thought it was interesting, you know, to bring that up uh in, in connection with the new the new post today from Bitcoin Magazine. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure that Russia is wiping their hands with the West. Like they are after this stuff that Merkel uh, came out, she had an interview with some newspaper and she said pretty much those Minsk Accords back from whenever it was 2014, the Minsk Accords, they had no intention on keeping their word. And they never implemented the Minsk Accords and they were just buying time so that they could fortify Ukraine and train and get them weapons and, you know, do all that stuff. Um, And that came out from Merkel's lips or at least quotes of hers in the newspaper. And the Russians hated that. They said, well, we cannot work with the West. We will not work with the West. So that's... um, that could also be part of this that leads into why they want to use things like Bitcoin because they know that they, they, they know that they won't go back to the old financial system. So they're looking ahead. They're looking forward. And of course there's all these things with BRICS, the BRICS currencies and um, trying to set up some basket of currencies, which is never going to work. Okay. You're not ever going to make a stable basket out of crappy uh, crappy currencies. Now what, buddy? Sorry, guys. All right. Well, it's getting a little bit loud here, guys. I, I'm going to end it here. Thanks for joining me. Um, I will not be recording this weekend, so I hope you guys have a happy holiday. Um, Merry Christmas to you and to uh, yours. And I will see you back on Monday. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.